0: listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn.
1: Hi and welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. I'm Jackie Clayton and this is Katie Van Horn
2: and we have an awesome fun guest with us today, uh, Rowdy Duncan, and um, I'm not going to say his middle name because I want him to because it's my favorite part, but um, So Rowdy, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're really happy to to have you here. And we're doing a little bit of a a crossover today because Rowdy is a podcaster as well. So um, we are podcasting on our end this time and then we'll go visit him on his podcast at some point in the future. Um, So we're doing, this is a slight crossover, if you will. So Rowdy, uh, thanks for joining us. Would love to start off with just a little bit about your identity. So who is Rowdy Duncan? And you have to tell me your middle name too.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'll get to that for sure. So um, my my given Western name is Rowdy Sunray Duncan. Um, In my culture, um, Taos Pueblo, it's you take the surname of your godfather. And so my uh, native name is Rowdy Sunray of the Good Morning. And I am mixed uh, with Taos Eastern Band Cherokee and then white Welsh, I don't, you know, the white thing is always really hard to like, to really distill down. Um, But being mixed race and being indigenous in this country is a very interesting process and growing up in Texas, uh, that's where my roots are. Um, There's not a lot of like other native people in Texas, and so you kind of get lumped in with Hispanic people and but but in that I found that you can create dynamic community and people that love and got your back. uh, And that people will love and adopt you for who you are, you know, like even if you don't understand. the things that are happening like when i used to get like yelled at like like i learned to understand that means like calm down relax don't be so excited in my house uh because i got adopted by the abuelas and everything um so yeah like it's part of like what drives me like is who i am and the fact that i've always needed a community and a space where i didn't always have folks around me
2: awesome and tell us a little bit about what you do today. So obviously you have your podcast, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. But also, what your what your day job is, what you do as a grown up.
0: <laughs> yes. So uh, my podcast is inclusive activism. And I'm very excited that y'all have agreed to join me on inclusive activism because I love picking the brains of folks that do the same type of work. Uh, because I really think being inclusive and moving to being more of an inclusive person is a way of healing ourselves as people. It's a way of building capacity and becoming a better human. Um, I think um, we all heal as we do these processes. I think it's a form of leadership development as well as a form of healing for all people that do it. Cause we all struggle with some of these things sometimes when we're really being honest with who we are. And I am a communication professor at Phoenix College. So I get to teach interpersonal communication which some of these issues pop up in uh, and then intercultural communication which these issues are all over the place in. And um, I really love what we do in the communication field because the way I try to describe it is communications are, is like the spells of being that we create things into being with, right? So the way we communicate our spells of value for some people or things or backgrounds or ideas, or we communicate disvalue into being with uh, certain things, ideas, or ways of being. And so really looking at like how we talk about things, how we value things, how we disvalue things, how we other certain folks, how we include other folks, gives us a sense of the patterns that we get into uh, that shows us how the world comes into being and how we replicate it by the way we talk about stuff.
2: Awesome, so you know I I think communication is one of the pieces that we want to dig in on and you know I think every time that I'm working with the client, one of the pieces that is a major piece of the strategy is always that communication plan. And so I wanna just talk a little bit, and I think even spreading that a little bit further to, to your point of like that cultural communication, like how you do that, how you do that the right way. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about your thoughts on you know where does communication come into the conversation around inclusion and diversity?
0: Um, for me, I think, like my scholarship, and I'm really not a big fan of using that word because I, I think like the, the hoity toityness of my field is really something that turns me off. Um, but I like to look at communication from a systemic view and from a critical lens. Um, and I like it looking at things through the critical lens first because there's always something to improve on through a cl- critical lens. Now, through critical scholarship, one of the things that fails us is it just shows us where the problems are and doesn't make any suggestions on how to fix it. I had uh, some students listen to ta Coates and they were really like just bummed out because they're like, well, what do we do, You know, nehisi And he's like, I don't know, I'm a critical scholar. I don't, t- I don't like tell you how to fix the problem. I tell you what the problem is. And they're like, well, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, that's his job is pointing out the problem, right? Like it's his specialty. That's what makes him dynamic and amazing. But then the other part is systemics. What are the patterns that happen that putting things into play? Why are you having a hard time hiring uh, folks of uh, marginalized backgrounds? Why, when you hire them, do they leave? Why do they choose not to stay, right? Uh, because I know you've, you all find this all the time. Everybody wants to hire diversity. Nobody wants to think how to keep diversity once it's hired uh, because they just get in the cycle of hiring and having people leave because their culture's not really welcoming to it. So for me, it's about really analyzing how you talk about things every day um, I think one of the good places to add communication into what they do is like having like an inclusive moment or the inclusive idea of the day and like a five-minute conversation at the start of a meeting about these like ideas and concepts and having folks like kind of grapple with that and uh, put, it, put spaces of mutual accountability, right? If uh, And y'all do that really well, right? Like I hear y'all do that with your ability stuff and like, be like, don't call it crazy, like use other language around that stuff, right? And uh, my favorite sub for crazy is bananas. So I'm trying to use bananas all the time because <laughs> there's no like connotation with bananas other than the physical banana. Um, but really getting to see how communication is the beginning of the pattern. And if you can start tr- to, like you first have to s- start with how you think about things, but then how you speak about things is how you start the process of making things into being. And language is that place where, uh, and y'all are really great with that, With I see you have your see her in there all the time uh, with your pronouns and I think that's lovely. Um, I love that and I do that, um, but coming from in, indigenous cultures, we don't always say and do those things because that wasn't a big deal for us. Cause we were just like, oh yeah, this person's two spirited. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, it means they're just, two-spirited like they're just different and that's cool and we should ask them questions because they see the world different and they'll teach us stuff. Um, so I'm kind of like in a middle space where I want to adopt those things or like come from an Indigenous perspective of it's not it's not it's perfectly natural and maybe doesn't need to be talked about all the time. Um, so I'm kind of in that middle balancing space but it's really For me, in my work, I love trying to get people to change how they think about talking about things and challenge, hopefully, first and foremost, yourself, because everybody loves pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. Like, I would love to see a place where, like, we're focused on us first. And then I ask you to help me with me instead of patrolling everybody else and their behavior, because I think that's a a place people get stuck a lot.
1: I think, you know, you bring up a good point. I just read literally this morning On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder. Um, And one of the things that he talks about in regards to language is adopting language that other people use to explain situations. Like they were talking about um, some of the campaign language are using extremists, which really isn't a thing, but then we're numb to it. We equate it with, um, maybe terrorism because they put those in the same sentence when they're so completely different. Um, so that we don't recognize people being extreme unless they then riot, right? Like we don't see that we have been breeding extremism through this process and getting numb to it and and using, um, other words. I, I always think it's funny because, you know, like we don't cuss on our podcast, but if anybody knows us personally outside of a work scenario, we use four letter words on a regular basis. And so I know oh, I it's a know. secret, not Katie. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe just me. I just got a shirt that says classy, but I cuss a little. I thought it was funny. Um, Anyway, but getting... It it really forces you to use the words, use the words that you have and find out what you're really dealing with so that we can understand greater what what your challenges are. And I think that's what's what challenges us right now in looking like people are always like us versus them, left versus right. And people who have adopted these ideologies that somebody else has put forth for them, they're using their language. So we don't even know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we can't have because we haven't adopted that language and what the feelings around it. Um, and I think we do that culturally. I mean, of course, that's a, the, the, the thought that comes to mind first because of everything going on in our in our country. Yeah. But I think we do that all the time. Just like case in point, saying crazy that like we've become numb to it when there are other meanings behind it. And we have to find the words, you know, and until we do I, bananas works for me. You know, it's like we have to put those things together so that we can communicate And And I think that's, you know, that's what the the challenges can be is people not having the words to talk about what the feelings are and adopting someone else. It's really important to understand language. Um, And we do talk about language a lot because a lot of times people, that's what helps people feel excluded. It's like one word, one Mm -hmm. sentence. Mm
0: And that loadedness right or that like you know that articulate you're like oh like can we just agree articulate's not a great adjective <laughs> <laughs> anymore let's just put articulate on the shelf for like a generation or two we'll come back to it when when it doesn't when it doesn't load it anymore right. um, because it's it's got that loaded like like derogatory othering part of it now right um, and I think seeing and noticing that's really important. If y'all haven't heard it, um, Brene Brown did a podcast talking about what had happened at the Capitol and phenomenon of dehumanization and how the phenomenon of dehumanization uh, is really something people use and exploit uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to create the systems and the patterns that we're seeing. Um, it was really fascinating and some good stuff for me in trying to be more empathetic for folks that are not understanding or why they may be stuck in the places that they are Um, because if I can't have like an empathetic understanding for why they are where they are I may not be able to help someday Um, but it was really fantastic so if you haven't listened to it I'd highly recommend it
2: she's one of my favorites and I've not listened to that one but yeah I love listening to all of the interviews that she does and all of the conversations she has on her podcast because I think um, one of the first people that she interviewed um, was, and now I'm going to, because this is what I do. I forget names. I'm not very, um, Tirana Burke was one of her first interviews. And that conversation just was, it was on empathy and, you know, kind of how to think about some of these different topics and, and, and humanize humans again. Like, I think that's one of the pieces that also comes up so much. And I think the capital. Uh, you know, what happened in the Capitol is such a, an example of people, yeah, just going into this othering space where dehumanizing and not even thinking about like the conversation or the comments of, yeah, I just got swept up in it. Or I didn't really, you know, I, we were just going there and there is that piece that you go, I I think they believe that. And I think they, that for some folks, it was just a mob mentality. I just went along because everyone else was doing it. It's, it, it, but it's so scary to think about that because I think that is what we've done for way too long. Is it, you know, we've just gone with the, oh, well, I believe what this person believes and we'll follow them no matter what. And I mean, I think Trump is such a great example of that where you have folks that are like, oh, well, he did this or this and that's why I'm a fan. So I just disregard the other stuff. And you're like, but how? How do you disregard someone just being, I can't like there are a
1: lot of words. Most of I was them. like are- all the cuss words just went through. Her-
2: <laughs> She's oh, thinking of the words. I was I like, like my mental not the cuss words. From not what cuss
1: words. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of choice ones that came up too.
2: Couple yeah. choice ones, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, but yeah, I mean, I think the rehumanizing of people is something, and I know that's not really a word, but how do we actually look at folks as individuals and take them as, as individuals? And have that empathy for their specific situation. And I think that's, you know, that's part of what we do every single day when we're working with organizations is, you know, meeting them where they are, Mm -hmm. whether we agree with where they are or not, and whether, you know, we want to shake them a little bit and be like, I need you to move faster. Um, (laughs) But, you know, being open to that is so important.
1: I think you have to start though. I mean, Black people aren't looked at as people, they weren't looked at as people. So if you're talking about looking at people of color, you know, indigenous too, of being unvalued, it wasn't like they said, okay, I see you as whole, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to empathize with something that you think has no value. Yeah, I mean, I No, think-
0: no and I think when you're talking about the, the thinking for sure, right? But I think of what's the thing that got them to the place that they're that affected and because the actions of those people truly are the actions of damaged folks Mm -hmm. right like you can't do something that horrific without being exposed to something really difficult like without being put in like spaces of like trauma as well Mm -hmm. and I think what's hard is in whiteness there's been no dealing with trauma. And so there's not experience with trauma and there's not the ability to like learn how to heal from trauma and not that they have the same historical trauma at all. Right. But there is some trauma that I think makes that thing happen. And, um, it's super hard to like get there. Right. And that's one of those things that I keep trying to work on is seeing the scared hurt person that is making that thing happen. Um, And I fall into the theming of them and othering of them all the time. Uh, It's one of those things that I'm trying to get better at. Like Tara Brock is another person I listen to that helps me see like the humanness in people that are causing a lot of pain. Um, Because I worry, I'm in this constant space of auditing myself of, can I be human enough that if someone came in and sat down and were willing to have tea with me could I be patient enough to potentially heal them in some way um and then there's also the times where I'm like yeah today's not my day and I am not the vehicle for this thing and I the patience isn't there and I'm gonna hit the old eject button on this one because that's what I need to do to take care of myself in this moment right um but it's hard it's a real dynamic tension for me Because, uh, you know, I'm not saying by any means, like they're dehumanizing of everybody else and what they've done with black people or what they've done indigenous people and what they're continuing to do uh, with stepping on blackness and stepping on indigeneity with how they act, Um, it's hard. Um, But when I realize these are people infected by ideas that hopefully I can like take the, the idea away from the person that perhaps they can heal. But I also have to remember, I can't heal anybody without them wanting to. And that's that boundary setting. I think that's so important in what we do.
1: I, I think it's been the the life changing moment for me, oddly enough, came through a training through junior league, which you would think is the last place that you would get like a good diversity training. But when we were there, when we were talking about people the way that that america became america i don't like ever i hate saying like founded cuz it was oh. like here already ps right um <laughs> you can't discover something that's already been found anyway so um that's a whole another episode
0: absolutely
1: but in thinking that in order people had to leave their own cultures and since they had to leave everything behind in order to be accepted here because we were looking at as race as an actual construct, right? So it was like, okay, so you're white. Wait, you have this thick Italian accent and your name is Mauricio, so you're not. It's like, wait, no, my name's Mark and I live in the United States of America. Because if you ask people, and that was part of our episode when it was like Black Jackie and Just White Katie, when we were talking about How those things come into play. And so I always explain to people like you have to remember, generationally, we do get a little bit not act, not complete, but we get insight into what the black experience
0: is. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google and
1: just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. They don't talk about the white experience. The small mentality has happened forever. People, you can't tell me that everybody said, you know what? You're right. Beating people into submission for my will and like owning people. That's a great idea. I mean, that's that's a mob mentality that started. And it's because you weren't allowed to have a culture. So when you look at these groups that are organized and they can rally around being a person of color or being compassionate or having that understanding and you don't have that, that's why people say things like, well, why don't we do white lives matter? Because it's like, well, I'm white and I'm not black. So I don't identify that way. So this isn't important to me. And I I explain to people like this happened to you too. Because yeah. you've been told lies since the very beginning. And so on the one side, it's you know generational trauma. On the other side, it's generational lies
0: mm-hmm.
1: that people really believe. And so in diversity, we talk about meeting people where they are. We have to open up and accept their truth. Mm-hmm. And so some people think I was owed this and promised this and this person isn't. And that's what I've been told my whole life and generationally, that's the way it's supposed to be. Like they believe it as much as I can say, this is a pen. And so I don't, I, don't think, I don't think I can heal people, but I think by listening and having them share their story, they can get better insight. And I think those things are coming to fruition. And I think all of us, as we're talking within in the diversity space, when we're meeting people that seem to be really adverse, I mean, there's your sign to start asking questions. You know so why do you feel that way how long have you thought this way where did that come from how does that working for you without saying anything and all of a sudden they'll say you're the best diversity trainer they've ever had <laughs> right
0: <laughs> right i think that is that's the magic it's funny too because i think when you say what you say like i have a friend his name's calvin Terrell, he's been one of the folks that helps me so much with what i do and he's like you know all like most white people that came here were refugees you know like Mm -hmm. pilgrims weren't awesome folks like you know let's be honest like these folks were so weird that they're like i want the freedom to restrict people so much that i have to sail halfway across the world that is unknown at this point so i can enact more oppressive rules on people because they they think what i'm doing here is so weird that we want to go and do that there but like that's what colonization has done to white people because again there's not been a lot of discussion about like how white people have been decolonized i mean those are the folks that have been colonized the most and longest like as white people and that's like probably why we're seeing so much so much dysfunction because like they have no connection to a sense of indigeneity or they haven't had an experience of what is so amazing about blackness is like blackness was like a thing that arose without a connection to land as a survival technique that was soul-based only like it's funny because everyone wants to indigenize stuff and i'm like i want to like engage in a process of blackness because like it, like there was something that happened at a soul level that created a sense of connection and wholeness and community as a survival technique to the some of the most horrific things we've ever seen Like, I'm like, I want to engage in Blackness. Like, I want to, like, see spaces of, like, Blackness. I want to see, like, practices of Blackness where people, like, adopt some of these things to, again, I think, become more whole people because it's that poison and the lie, like you said, of othering or you're not me. And it just hurts people.
1: I I feel like the American dream is what they sold to get people to come over here to work these fields in the the first place. And because... I mean, we always talk about the American dream, but we never talk about like, was this an actual dream? Like, did someone like, who put that together? You know, we don't have a record of that. And so we get to make it, we get to fix it towards our narrative, mm-hmm. you know. But how I have a question how personally kind of getting changing directions a little bit, but you talked about being like, multiracial and having all of these pieces and then living in Texas where there isn't a lot of indigenous people. Um, how was that? I mean, I know we, we I, you talked a little bit about like the assumption or different things or people bringing you in, but how was that growing, growing up? What was that experience like?
0: Um, I've heard all
1: of it from birth to now
0: (laughs) in two lines. No. Um, I think, uh, this
2: is going to be a seven podcast. I was
0: Um, born
1: on a cold winter's day.
0: I think, uh, it's been the pain of my life, right? It's been the thing that I've been in a constant process of working through and healing from, but I've also heard whatever is the pain of your life, is the thing that you have within you that you get to heal in others because you had to heal it within yourself. Um, and so it was hard and it's weird because like, you know, there was no indigeneity to connect to and I had no connections to my tribal affiliation. Like my father um, drank a lot, a lot of the the stereotypical stuff and we left him when I was very young. And so I have no uh, direct connection to any of my tribal identities because even the tribal identities we have were beaten out of us through Indian schools uh, because in Texas especially, like harsh, hard assimilation what was is what was done. And so when get, going back to my great-great-grandmother, like she was just kidnapped from an area called the Big Thicket um, and then dropped off hundreds of miles away um, seven years later and then had to find home And then we were always taught to hide our indigeneity because we were afraid of like our kids getting kidnapped. Like that was the only story of indigeneity we had. Um, So it was hard, but the gift in what I had is that I always needed people. And so I learned how to get adopted by people. Like I learned how to integrate, not assimilate, like and bring my sense of selflessness into this new space. I learned how to uh, practice like a form, like cultural humility and that I'm always in the learning space. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, I recognize that, like, I, I think I know how not to do, a, um, what's appropriation? Because like, I've never really been in a culture, but I got adopted and became families of this culture by their own um, words. And so I know like how not to do appropriation and that is just to be family and within groups, right? Because like, like you know, I've had so many black folks that just adopted me because they're like, God, it must be really lonely out there for you now that I know you and your background, get on in here, you're part of us, <laughs> right? Like same thing with like Latino, Hispanic, Mexican folks, right? They just adopted me and brought me in. Um, and that's a big part of what native cultures have done historically too, right? Like there were women that were like, screw patriarchy, I'm gonna go join this tribe. Or there were uh, like folks like fleeing slavery, right? And they, we just, you're we like, okay, well you're Seminole with us. And that's just what they did and how they did it. And I think when you get down to brass tacks of humanity, that's how it can act, but it's hard. Cause like, there's so many silos of difference that are keeping us so separate. And there's this notion of you have to have or be part of this group to be safe. Um, and that's not true. Like, when you got family, you don't need millions of dollars or seven homes. Like, you just got people that got your back. And so you don't have to be scared because, like, you've got family. Like, and family doesn't have to be what could be at times the toxic people you were born into. You know, like family exists in a much bigger space. But yeah, to answer quickly, I would say it was hurtful (laughs) and hard, Uh, but then also it's been the lessons that I get to teach in my classes to different companies and things. Um, And it's also a way of, uh, I think another thing of what we do when people ask like, you know, why should we have diversity training in companies? It's really a form of operationalizing dissent Because dissent and the ability to be like, hey, that's wrong, or hey, I don't agree, or hey, this is problematic, is what always has to happen in really, truly inclusive spaces. Because we're going to make mistakes with this stuff over and over again all the time. And like really creating an operation for dissent, uh, really valuing what dissent brings to an organization and people to really come to best decision within a consensus is what we're trying to do. And I think um, that pain has also become my gift.
1: That's like a whole Ted talk.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. It's a lot of stuff to like attempt to unpack. Uh, so I'm curious to hear from you. How the heck did y'all get into this? I mean, that's kind of how I got into this. How did you lost y'all- the bat? <laughs> I Where's bet you, you can't fix whiteness, classism, and sexism. Go.
1: No. <laughs> the seven-part podcast. Um, <laughs> well, I've been talking a lot, Katie. How did you get into this work? Um, kind of by happenstance
2: a little bit, but not. Um, so I'm the youngest of my kids, grew in Ohio. We moved when I, went, when I was about 10 years old. And throughout my entire life, both my parents were caters. And... They very much like exposing us to different things and exposing us to different cultures and different people. And one of the things they did every summer was throw us in the back of the van and we would drive all over the US. So before I was nine years old, I was, to, I was in 31 of the 50 states. And yes, we went to the museums. We were not a like, okay, go to Disneyland. Cause you know, two educators <laughs> trying to buy tickets to Disneyland wasn't happening. Um, So it was about museums and it was about like learning about the people and um, going into like families' homes and things like that to just learn like who who's around us and who do we not know and who's different from us. Um, And that was such a a great experience from my childhood. And that kind of carried into my career in HR. I kind of I joke around and we actually just interviewed someone yesterday, um, Elena Kine, who is a storyteller. And she is all about, you know, going out and finding stories. And that's what I consider myself. I'm not a storyteller. I'm a story like keeper or story, you know, how to bring people along in the conversation, how to bring people's stories into whatever the work is. Um, And so for me, it was being able to really understand the experience of different employees, understand that the experience was not the same, where so many organizations feel like, oh, we have this onboarding process and this recruiting process and this, Once they're here, this is what they do. And then they get voted, blah, 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 blah. And that's not the case for every employee walking in the door. So understanding that and understanding, like, how do you make it an equitable environment? How do you make a a culture or create a culture where everyone does have the same experience or opportunity for an experience? That really has always kind of been a guiding force for me and was able to really dig in on it and work with some really cool organizations. When I was at my last company, Daddy, and this just became like, oh my gosh, there's so much work to be done. And um, I'm not shy about talking about it. And I'm not shy about like having the, the hard conversations. And I also feel like I've had some great partners and learning and understanding. Obviously, Jackie is one of them to say like, okay, tell me how this, what this is like, or what, you know, how should I do this the right way and not say the wrong things and that type of stuff. And so I've been very fortunate to have great people that have guided me along this path, but it really was, you know, I was doing that work at GoDaddy and I was getting calls. Hey, can you come help us with our culture? Hey, can you come do this with us? And it was kind of a aha moment of this could be a business and I could do this time and impact so many more people. And so I made the leap and the rest is history. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's how do you get into different organizations globally, locally, and, and understand where they are today and guide them on that journey and, and help them through some of the hard questions and some of the you know, hard conversations. And you, know, you were just mentioning, you know, having those places where people can have the conversations and can ask the questions And, you know, we talk about psychological safety or bravery or, you know, however you want to approach that. And for me, it's, you know, how do you help your employees have the conversations that they need to have to say, this is my experience and it's not the same as everybody else. And to give them that safety to be able to do that in the right way and also help the leaders with, okay, if you have an employee saying this to you, it's not a, Hey, let's get mad. It's what do we need to do to fix it? And really believing them and understanding that things need to change um, to make it better for everybody.
0: Yeah. I wanted to say, like, it's amazing to hear what you've been able to do at GoDaddy. Cause I mean, like that organization seems to have been built on sexism with patriarchy. Uh, and I can tell from being in this area that they really evolved (laughs) quite a bit, um, Mm -hmm. as far as like becoming more whole and helpful in that area. And it's interesting because that pattern that you're talking about, Katie, I see a lot of people that start out in HR, And then they get so good at HR that eventually they're like, okay, how do I like work in prevention from an HR standpoint, rather than just responding to issues? Uh, Because so many people are just stuck in that space. Like, what can we do to really be synergistic? What can we do to operationalize dissent? What can we do to work on culture? Like one of my favorite questions asked in an organization is, what's your culture? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, oh, uh oh, oh. Like, if you don't know, then whatever it happens to be is your culture. Like, unless you have an intentional idea of what this is, and you're working to reinforce the concept and move towards a culture of blah, you'll never get there.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that's where so many HR folks and, you know, Jackie and I interact with some of them, unfortunately, on a very... Uh, <laughs> daily basis, weekly basis, whatever you want to call it. And you have those folks that are like, no, no, no. We just want HR to be administrative. We just do the paperwork. We just do. And you're like, why, why would you not want to push further and make this better for all of your employees? And I mean, we've seen even just in the last few months, a lot of folks have kind of themselves for their not very inclusive beliefs and not very, um, not good. It's just not good beliefs. And, and you think about that and how does that kind of equate for the employee and what does that happen? what happens to that employee in that culture where you have someone who is themselves a racist and it's very much all about, you no, know, we want to keep things the way they are. We like the patriarchy, all of those things having to have those conversations and help educate people. It's good and frustrating, but I think the other part is it's, it is about, you know, how do you just get people to exactly your point, like get people to start thinking about like, how can we do this better and more proactively, not just, Hey, we don't want to get sued. Yeah. Cause that has, I mean, for years, that was kind of the HR motto. Like, how do we do a CYA to make sure that the organization doesn't get sued versus how do we make this really cool for employees so they can just do great work?
1: That's it's what weird it's to see how much they've done. People talk about candidate exper- experience, but they don't talk about the employee experience. And mm-hmm. they they put so much I mean, and when I say that I mean like they put money behind it. Like they put money behind candidate experience and the people who have to do the work are miserable. You know, so it's like that's not going to work. I literally um yesterday was showing a client, I do this little exercise about how you, you can't change what you don't acknowledge and, and the company wants to have all these diversity initiatives. And I didn't even know who I was talking to because I don't like knowing because I'll get really nervous sometimes, you know, like, oh, you're the chief diversity officer at Johnson & Johnson and I'm little Jackie Clayton in Waco, Texas. Okay, cool, that's cool. Um, so I try not to get into it too much, but it turned into like a preaching session because I I went, I literally, we looked, it was like, you've lost 4,000 people at your organization in the last two years. 50% of those are women. I was like, let's stop. Y'all ain't ready. I was like, y'all are not ready for diversity recruiting. If, if you lost 2,000 of the people that you lost were women, we've got a problem. Let's look. And so then we started looking at, I was like, it's y'all sales department. And then then I showed them the reporting. And at the end of it, they're like, you're just preaching now. They're like, you're just showing off. But I was like, no, like you're like data. It's weird. I am like the data dork. I love it. Unfortunately for them, I love finding things like that out and trying to find patterns. Like Oh my god! Did you know that your head of accounting is racist? <laughs> and they're like, "What?" I'm like, yeah, you've lost, you know, a hundred Latinx people in the last five years. That's weird, but not really, you know. But um, I
0: so, think Jen, it's- yeah, hmm. I was curious to ask you because, um, like, y'all know, you, you probably do the concept of positionality. Like the folk, like if you look at and build something from the lens of the most oppressed person. Um, you're probably gonna hit equity because like if you can do it from the most oppressed, like intersectional identity, then everybody else has a pathway in. Um, so you like given your positionality as a black woman, like this has to you you must bring great things, but then also it must be an incredible pain in the A, like every day, like as a black woman attempting to do this work because they'll be like, Oh, she's a woman, oh she's black. Like there's a million dismissers you have to get through like over and over again. Like yeah sucks, that. Ratty.
1: <laughs> 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 Thankfully, years of medication and therapy have made me able to be at this point. No,
2: I-, I No, I, I, well, first off, this is how that started too was for the very reason, because it was these conversations of like, what world is happening right now? And sorry, did you, but like, that's part of it too. It was just like these actions she was having were like, huh? Yeah.
1: So anyway, sorry. And it, no, no. But I think it, it did come. It's hard. And I think the hardest part of this work for me is being so aware of oppression and being aware of my blackness and that and realizing that that is a problem for some people just walking in the room, you know, like literally I have to talk to people about why they don't hire people like me, <laughs> you know. Like, and I think it's, I think the challenge that, um, what's interesting, I have these really great, crazy parents that always volunteered as tribute to like break down doors and hearing those messages growing up. Like, I just thought that's what you did, you know, like. I'd be like, why are we here? And my mom would be like, because there's no Black people here. So we need to make sure they can hear from Black people. So we're going to go. And it was like, oh, okay. And like, I look for opportunities to volunteer as tribute. And I think that happens a lot with these organizations. It's really hard. Um, I'm glad that I have friends within the space, but it's hard. What I learned, what was interesting is, is, is that, we were taught two different lessons or three different lessons or four different lessons. Um, Like your world may not be the same as mine and the lens is different. Mm -hmm. And I think something that was interesting kind of growing up at one point, my dad was a Reverend before he retired. And and it was in the nineties, I had a lot of um, uh, friends that were gay coming out of the closet and getting kicked out of the house. And they would come move into our house. And my parents are like a really conservative, you know, and the first person I got it, like they were being nice parents. But then we had like five 19, 18, 19, 20 year old gay men living in our house. They were watching like truth or dare. And I was like, y'all have to get out of my house. Like, I don't like, that was just, that was a little much for me, but I was like, dad, how did you do that? Like, I hear the lessons in the conservative, you know, ism. And how do you do that? And he was like, cause we, we love the person. We love the person. Um, and I remember growing up, like we had guests over for Thanksgiving once and, um, them being like my, I was like, who are these people? They're like, oh, they're home. They're homeless people. And that's kind of how we were, that's kind of how I was raised, where we had underrepresented people. I know that, like, I'm a, I'm a woman of color that comes from a place of privilege, so it's like a weird spot, um, but I always knew that I would be strong enough to be able to be in those situations, um, and that you have to stand strong, and as I got older, it became more important for me to do it for the generations behind me. Because you know, I was a recruiting manager. I could still be a recruiting manager and make you know about the the same money. Um, but I think it's so important of people getting the message right. And not that I have all the answers, but I've seen so many people do this work wrong. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know, I I I I tell people like I want to change the world one recruiter at a time. Um, and. Also, the big reason why I got into this is because when I realized that the way that they were teaching, they were not going to be able to find me. People were not going to be able to find me. Um, and so I wanted to help open those things out. But to, again, to answer your question, yeah, it sucks. And there are days where I, um, at least once a month, I feel like calling in Black, like I, that's, that's a, what I call it.
0: You're like, you get a Black day off.
1: Yeah, I'm just tired. And they're like, what? It's like I'm tired of explaining to you know, white people why they need to be yeah. <laughs> equitable. It's just yeah. exhausting. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think it's so necessary. And like if not me, then who? I think I think I kind of am I'm in that space. But it it's also comes from a a being infinitely curious. Yeah. You know? Yeah especially now I would love to have that man your little friend with the horns come over and sit down with me talk about Hugh and how he got into those spaces
0: yeah what was the slippery slope that was like (laughs) did you
1: eat glue (laughs) that's what I'm gonna ask let's start did you ever eat glue just curious. <laughs> just curious. Were, you a hug. Were you vaccinated? I'm just yeah, writing kid, this down.
0: That kid definitely needs a hug. You know what's bananas? <laughs> yeah. he, he went to Moon Valley High School and that's probably like a few blocks from where I live. Like it's yeah. not super far from where I'm stationed. Yeah. Um, mm. But I wanted to say to both of you, like I just admire the hell out of y'all um, because like I do what I do with part-time because honestly, like getting to teach these ideas and concepts in both interpersonal communication, because there's a lot of patterns that happen with interpersonal communication that are directly linked to like inclusive issues, right? Uh, as well as intercultural, it's easy. Like I'm, I'm talking to people that are like, yeah, this is a great idea. Why wouldn't we do it? Like, like they adopt stuff like that because they're just like, oh, I can see where this is no good. I can see where like, you know, I've become addicted to like, Patterns of toxic people or toxicity and I've seen them as normative and like I've replicated those patterns like so I get to be in a space of like happiness and growth and then like I get to take that chargedness into different companies from time to time, but y'all like live there, you know, like, like my regular, my regular experience is finding, you know, I go out into the world where it's hard to find new and creative ways to explain it better to my students, because um, it keeps my head sharp. But y'all like live there. Um, and it's funny because people are like, you could make more money out in that place. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure. But like, it's hard. And there's like a huge, co- you know, the cost of humanity for like the $150,000 salary, like maybe isn't worth the, you know, like the $80,000 trade-off in difference, you know? Um, so I did want to say and acknowledge that from you two, Like y'all are, Amazing, badass. I'm sorry. Like it's the only. Do we have
1: to give you a copay? Because really, we are like. <laughs> because I feel like I mean, yeah. Thank you for saying that and acknowledging that. Because so many people don't acknowledge that. Um, that it's hard, and you get a lot of pushback and grief. And we have another. Um a friend of ours that are, is was in the business on Facebook that was like blocking people today. He <laughs> like having, cause he has the, this pushback and sharing his views and and it, and it and it can be hard. I think sometimes I think, I don't know who has it harder, me or Katie, depending on the day. But sometimes I think, gosh, that Katie, that must be rough of going in. Like I go in as a black woman and people just assume I know everything about diversity Katie gets to go in, you know, but they also think that I'm going to whine and complain about it because of the benefit of me, even though I don't work there and, you know, they're not even paying me enough and I don't even have time for snacks. So stop. And then Katie walks in and they assume she's completely biased with her cute little jacket and pearls on. It's like, oh, but they have no idea. I'm sure you set that straight within the first five minutes, Katie.
2: Rowdy, yes, thank you very much. I think the the driving force for me is when you see that light bulb go off. You know, I the the one and I use this example often. Um, sitting in a calibration meeting, so where you're talking about employees on different teams and how you rated them from a performance review perspective, and having a leader correct another leader who's speaking about someone who is a woman of color and saying, Oh, she's aggressive. She's this, she's that. And having that other leader go, yeah, that's not the language we we are going to use. How is their performance and how are they living the values and really focusing? And you're sitting there going, Oh my God, it's working. Like, Hey, wow. They get it. They're hearing me. And they actually, because there are times when you walk away from a workshop or a conversation, you're like, I don't know if they got it. Like, I don't know if they understood, but when you see them using language and using concepts that you've talked to them about, and there is like, there is that little, like I always chuckle when I hear like a CEO use like the same language that I used with them. And you're like, oh, okay. They were listening to me. (laughs) And, and, and if they want to adopt it as their own way of thinking awesome. Like that's, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but it, it is kind of funny because you'll have those moments where you'll see that light bulb go off. You'll hear the language being used and it just feels so good. But then there are other days when you're like, I'm going to go in my room and cry for a little (laughs) while and it's going to be okay. (laughs) Um, because I think that's, that's part of it too. And I think that's right now, anyone in any organization doing any role there is this piece where it's the, the balance that we all have to strike of keeping ourselves safe and okay, um, mentally, physically, etc. cetera. Um, not just sitting on the couch, binging, you know, Tiger King, can, you know, <laughs> ice cream all day. There are days that that should happen and other days that you should not do that. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, I, I think, it thank you.
0: Well, yeah, and too, like, if, if y'all don't, like, you know, at some point in time, raise your rates and be like, it's the, this is, this is my counseling costs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause I would love to see counseling and like our group of folks just be like, okay, we're co-conspirators here. Like, why don't you bring us aboard to help you understand certain things that are happening like in interpersonal spaces where you're seeing oppression and blah 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 work out because they do have a hard time teasing some of those concepts out right like what is like you know in higher ed like kids don't know like what's just college is harder than high school and what's racism they're like and i'm like well this is racism and this is college is just harder than high school you know because if you don't know it's hard to tease those things apart um and then, you know, cause they need to know and understand what's the difference between those things. But I'd love to see some like partnership, but our alliance for like diversity folks and like counseling and just be like, Hey, you know, <laughs> counsel me for like an hour a week. I'll volunteer like an hour a week with y'all and like talk, talk you through some concepts and ideas Trade. where you might be struggling with people. Um, I think that alliance would just do each of us all types of good. Um, but yeah.
1: I think you're right. And by the way, that doesn't change as you get older. Like, is this racism or is this like,
2: oh,
1: yeah. and you know, I, like, uh, you know, I'm loud and people will say that I'm loud. And so then when I'm angry, I'm sure it's louder. You know, the worst thing that someone can say to me is that is shush, you're being loud, right? Then mm-hmm. I just like, you know having to hold it all together. But then you have to sit and say, okay, was was I triggered? Was I responding to something outside of what was going on? Or were they trying to be the tone police and trying to control me as a black woman? Or was it a combination? And do I care? (laughs) Right?
0: Um, That
1: comes into play a lot.
0: (laughs) And I think just being in a space where you're like, am I loud or am I just extroverted? You know what I mean? I know I'm loud. Can can you ask the question? Because like extroverted and loud are loaded linguistically incredibly differently, right? Like um, my college president, he's a black man. And like, we've had a lot of conversations of like, well, what is racism? And what is like things in a system that are just difficult to adapt to? Because he came to the Maricopa system outside of the mayor, like me being within it. And so we've been able to have conversations with like, well, this is like, some of this is institutional resistance to change. Some of this is racism. I'm like, how do you tease those things apart? Um, but but you're right. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just you're always in this diagnostic process. And like, again, that's just exhausting. Uh, and it's so much of a cost our humanity. But that's why I call what we do healing. I, I mean, I know you may not be comfortable with that language. But for me, um, the way I summarize my purpose for people is I help others heal themselves. And in that same process, I get healed a little bit more in their wholeness. And that allows us to come together as community a little bit better to make the world a little bit better of a place. And um, when you're really clear on who you are and what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, I think it helps a lot. Um, But I mean, to to not acknowledge that there is healing that happens, I think is also to not see what you're doing too. I, I love also- healing,
1: I love that. Yeah. And I say that too, I it took me a, a lot of years. I probably had been doing it for seven years before I realized that so much of what we do is internal work. If so many people are afraid about being called out that you have to open the door and hope that they do the exercises kind of, you know like mm. to Katie's point, like, oh, they did it. Like you have to kind of hope that they can have that review that revealing and then you also have to realize that some of these things um you are opening up trauma that you didn't realize I mean me and Katie did a session together with a client and do you remember like 50% were crying we were talking about being young women in business and um having that come back. And then one person, I was like, oh, snap. Because one person was like, I didn't realize that until just this minute. I was like, oh no, like we totally need to call Oprah quick because we went all the way there. Um, But a lot of it is internal. And once you realize that it's like, what else have I been ignoring? What have I been suppressing? What have I been a part of? And you're not gonna do that in a half day, one month. It's bringing things to people's attention, um, and I think I, I had the conversation yesterday. Like I, you know, I am pain averse, like everyone is, and we're talking about what was going on and Trump losing. You know, he he's not on Pinterest anymore because. <laughs> Okay, they just had to get their logo on the on the board. <laughs> no more arts and crafts from now. no more. Was,
0: was it like workouts? Or I don't like- think
1: he was, but no more chicken Kiev <laughs> yeah. recipes. Yeah, um, workouts. That's what. He was- <laughs>
0: his Pilates routine.
1: Here's how the hamburger memes. goes. Out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Obama memes. Um, so, but it's like. At the same time, it's like, I like the devil, you know, I don't want people to be silenced. If they do that to them, they could do that to us. And I was like, it's, I I don't want to have to open up a, a, an account somewhere to try to find out what people are saying. And it's always a big thing of, it is the healing of letting them know what the effect is. Like, I always go back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How is this affecting me? And now that you have that information, because I don't think people, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I want, we need to overturn the election because Donald Trump won it and people cheated. It's another thing to say, I thought I was gonna be killed. I I had to call my husband and tell him where their will was. Like, I don't think anybody wanted that to happen, right? And when you realize, that's what we're seeing now, people coming out of the open, now realizing the effects and the impact of what they do. Now, that is an extreme situation, but I think everybody has pieces on a personal level where we are opening up wounds with our work. And, and we also have to do it within the jobs that me and Katie do. We, we have to look at it from a corporate perspective and it's hard because you have to reel it back. You know, like we're not gonna have abuse day in diversity class. And how does that make that, but we know those are things that are there. And so you have to have a lot of various resources. And so that's kind of hard sometimes to manage is it, but it comes back to what we said, kind of what you were mentioning at the very beginning that these are hurt people. There's a lot of hurt people. that have got a lot of mixed messages that they wrestle with. and, And it's a lot more comfortable to pretend it's not there when people bring it to your attention they respond in different ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, so much of it is hurt people hurt people, you know? And like, again, you know, like talking about those folks, like to give away so much autonomy, so much of your own power, and to just follow, like the guy with his feet on the desk of Nancy Pelosi was like a retired firefighter, Mm -hmm. you know? But like when you look at like, that was a regular dude who was just like a firefighter. And, like, now, like, they're talking about, like, sentencing folks up to 20 years, you know, like, uh, another thing my friend Calvin Terrell, uh, who to hear about from hopefully Katie, um, when he talks about privileges, privilege is an isolating force that makes you think you have to hoard and accumulate power and resources to the point that you don't need any other human in the world what a sick way of seeing the world, you know, as humans, as pack animals, like that's so antithetical to the human experience, you know, like the idea as a male that like I can do masculinity so perfect or that I can like so good at patriarchy that I never need women ever again, except for as like sex objects, like how sick is that idea? And like, how infected must I be to believe in it? You know? And like, um I'm still in that process of like because that I still have the same reaction you know I like I'm on your podcast so I'll say it um like when I saw the sixth it was much worse than 9-11 for me much worse right as a person of color as a someone that identifies as like Native American Indigenous like I don't get to go anywhere else this is home like I can't go to Europe like These are my, this is my land and I'm not giving it up. Like it was much more traumatic because like, this is like a member of your family coming into your room and threatening you. Um, Whereas like, you know, you knew with 9-11, like it was, you know, of course it wasn't going to be a nation. It was another group of people that like had an ideology that they wanted to spread, but the threat wasn't us. Like it was, the threat was like from, from outside and it wasn't even a nation it was just a small group of people like here the threat is here and it's us and there's no real way of parsing out all that stuff and it's it feels like there's so many more people spreading disease than wholeness and health Um, it's funny i tell my students in com 110 all the time like you know you pay me like 300 to take this class Like it's funny because like a CEO, I'll charge like five thousand dollars to do the same stupid class, like, (laughs) like stuff, but they'll like have to pay me five thousand dollars to go through those processes because their ego won't allow them to enroll in a three hundred dollar class. You know what?
1: Right. That put that in a Hallmark card because that is fabulous. We need to have we have Rowdy has to come back because we need to talk about that. That is so (laughs) hilarious. Their ego won't let them to do the continuing ed. They're not coming, they're not coming to audit a class. Mm -hmm. I I think a part of this though is looking for enemies. We've ran out of enemies. We got Al-Qaeda. 9-11 thing is over. And and you know, talking about diversity, inclusion, and how America rolls from the time of the pilgrims. I was like, I'm a big Rocky fan. And I was like, look at Rocky Four. How can you make a movie where the whole movie is about your hatred for another country. And at the end, when you think that the Russian guy died, people are cheering with an American flag, boxers. On. It's horrific. Like I, I decided when I do my webinars, I'm going to go show like Gen X references that we've gotten through the years. Cause people today wouldn't even believe that exists. Like we hate all of the Russians like as a
0: country, <laughs> all of them. Like there's some random person in Mongolia that's just like I'm just doing my thing. I'm just like eat food. Like I'm just living my life. Why do like, you hate on me? I don't I even know you exist. Hate you.
1: You're the enemy,
0: <laughs> right? You know,
1: like, it, and we had a whole culture of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now it's like, okay, who do we hate? We'll just, you know, we'll just eat it, eat ourselves.
0: I did this whole podcast on how we're so focused on enemy when really we need to be focused about the enemy that is in a me, right? What is the thinking within ourselves that like we're needing to heal? Because like enemies only exist when you got the enemy in a me. Right, right when you
1: gonna put, put that were, on like, a shirt, he's got good ones. Are you right? we gotta go back and write these down. That is a good
0: one. <laughs> but like if you were whole, like if you were really like, okay, like if you like, I, I kind of always envision, like, what is like rowdy, the Buddhist monk, like look like the enlightened Buddhist monk and like, say you know, haircut, people at the capital and just be like, you must be hurting a lot to be that way. Yeah. It must yeah. be very lonely. I'm working on that. So
2: it's good. All right, my friends. Um, Last question for you, Rowdy. Well, actually two, sorry. Uh, First one is, where can folks find you?
0: Um, Well, I've got one of the more Googleable names uh, in history, Rowdy Sunray Duncan. There really is just the me that's out there. (laughs) Um, And so uh, there's never been a more findable person. Um, But I I have Instagram, I'm I'm not great at like taking pictures and uploading and it's not like what I enjoy slowing life down enough to do. Um, I have the Inclusive Activism podcast, which I attempt to do bi-weekly and um, uh, I've got one out on colonialism and I've got another one that's going to be coming out on indigeneity and how to do more of those things. Um, I'm on Facebook, Uh, I have my own website, inclusiveactivism.com and you can email me at inclusiveactivism at cox.net as well. And what was, there was another one. Did I get both?
2: That was the first question. The second question is for anyone that is listening or watching, what is the one, gosh, I really want you to take this away from this conversation and, you know, kind of take action from it. Or what is the one thing you want people to make sure they heard?
0: I think for me, like what I'm finding myself wanting to work on most often is people that agree with us that are othering people all the time, right? Like I see social justice warriors smashing people and othering people over and over again all the time, not understanding they're using the tools of the oppressor and it's not making anything better. Um, Don't worry so much about like the people out there and do like your work inside and talk about your stumblings and your failures and how you've made the mistake because that's what gets people to connect with your humanity and that's what will get them to want to heal like you did. So don't look don't think you got to go teach everybody everything. Like engage in your own healing process and talk about your own healing process because that's what get people to self disclose the areas they need to heal and and then you actually can have a conversation about how you will both heal in a process of sharing. The trauma and learning from the the healing because when I heal you I learn how to heal myself when you heal me I learn how to heal myself but you also learn how to heal yourself in the same way like it's it's so amazing how wholeness comes from these processes and that's why I enjoy what we're doing and so I'd say the one takeaway is like heal yourself and talk about how you're healing yourself and stop like trying to catch everybody Stop gotcha and everybody doing it wrong, you know, like um, more so be like, you know what? I used to say this thing too. You know, I used to say crazy all the time too. In indigenous cultures, crazy people were the healing people. They weren't crazy. They saw the world differently and they gave us the ability to do something different. So they weren't crazy. They were the honored and revered people because they saw the world differently. Like imagine schizophrenia is like a potential vehicle for healing and it was in indigenous cultures across the world. Like, so I think it's like uncoupling some of those things and seeing the world in a new space too.
2: Awesome, thank you. Miss Jackie, what you got? I
1: think for today it's that to remember that, you know, in when you're being inclusionary that means everyone. And it kind of goes to the othering, like it, you will damage yourself if you surround yourself with group think and don't have people that have a difference of opinion that difference of opinion is what helps you grow so the people that are traumatic and triggering yeah you know block them don't <laughs> friend them don't engage but people that you know and and have had a relationship pre-2016 um you know it's important that we include everyone into the conversation. That's how we get those pathways to, to healing. Awesome. I think for me, the, the comment that you made
2: about this work being about healing, um, which is kind of even just what your summary was right there. Like, how do we continue to, to move down this path and continue this journey and really think about in regards to healing and how to heal each other and how to heal yourself. Um, I think that's something that it's just a different lens you know, kind of looking through it from, from a different direction. I think that's so important because there is so much hurt around these topics and around this, you know, what you should believe, what you should think, all of these things. And so thinking about it from that healing perspective, I think is really important. So Rowdy, thank you for joining us. Um, we truly appreciate the conversation. Um, this has been another episode of the inclusive, inclusive AF podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. This is Katie Van
1: Horn. And I'm Jackie Clayton. (laughs) Bye. Bye.